So what is out there for adults in adulthood? Sure. So there's many options out there for adults. Um, there's a variety of day programs, work programs. Um, many of those sadly have been affected with COVID, um, you know, because a lot of those are, you know, shut down right now. Um, and there's all kinds of different types of residential services. Um, I particularly would love to share about our family teaching model and the 10 outcomes that we implement on a daily basis with the adults that we serve so that they're living a strong and purposeful life every day of their life. So, um, and, and oftentimes you, again, it goes back to that being brave to ask the question. So when it comes time for your loved one to move on, move out of your home and move into their own place. There's a variety of options that are coming your way. That's scary and exciting and all those things. Um, and, you know, they might want to move into their own apartment. They might want to move into with roommates. They might need some level of behavioral and medical support. Um, and you need to consider all of those things as you're making those decisions. And families will come and look at the family teaching model to see if this is an option that's right for them. So let me just tell you a little bit about us and what that means. Um, so as you're thinking about your loved one moving into adulthood, this may be an option for you. So the family teaching model is a robust model that we have 17 homes throughout San Jose, Cupertino, and Los Gatos. Um, these homes have two to three individuals living in the home. So um, they all have their own bedrooms. They all have choice and control in their life. Um, and we want them living in their home. This is their home. This is not a home, a workplace. This is not, um, think of it as a group home. I, I don't like for us to be referred to as that because this legitimately is the individual's home. And they have a family teaching couple who lives next door to them who provides supports and helps them navigate their daily life. But ultimately, the individual is driving their needs, their goals of that. So the couple is there to provide an extended family for them. So really to build relationships with them and make sure that they feel like they're all operating as a family. But we also want those individuals to be learning right? It's a teaching model. So that means that the teachers that are there are always approaching their life and approaching natural opportunities for teaching, planned teaching, to where the individuals are gaining skills every day of their life, uh, reinforcing skills, adding new skills, things like that. We also have a clinical team. So we have behavior analysts and nurses who push in and support and make sure that teaching plans are in place that our staff are well-trained to be able to ensure that behavior plans are being followed, care plans are being followed, depending on the need of the individual. So we're really fortunate that we have them in-house and that they actually get to provide that layer of additional support to the home. Um, a big part of this is our individuals who want them to be part of the bigger community. They need to be involved in the community. They need to be participating highly in their lives every day. We want them living healthy lifestyles. So that means that they're planning their meals with guidance from their teachers. And um, doesn't mean we're eating chocolate bars and you know cake every day, even though we might build that in. We need to follow diet plans and exercise plans, make sure we're going to our medical appointments. And all of this is really meeting the individual where they're at and building upon 
their ability level to where they can be involved to some level. For some of our homes, that may mean, say we're gonna prepare a meal in the home. For some of our homes, that may mean that the individual is helping gather the ingredients and giving them to their teachers to help prepare. Others may be doing all the chopping with knives and cooking on the stove, but the idea is that they're participating. They're part of this. This is part of their life. They're living in a pleasant social environment. They're in a safe environment. All these things. We're looking at this when we go to every one of our homes to ensure that every home is up. You know, they're living up to the family model. They're, they're making sure that these individuals are living a purposeful life and that they're doing it at the level in which that individual needs support or doesn't. Right. I mean, we have very independent people who are extremely verbal and will come in and talk to you, but they may need some supports in behavioral or social cues. They may need supports um, in their work that they're doing out in the community. Um, they might be very impulsive or something. Whereas if we go to a different home in the family teaching model, those individuals may be non-vocal verbal. They may um need some more hands-on care and support in terms of hygiene, like showering, and maybe their food being cut up. Does not mean they are not fully participating in their lives. Um, it just means that it looks a little bit different and that that family environment is still there, that teaching approach is still there, and the individual is really living in their home and in their larger community. We do have a day program called Community that's bundled into the services. Um, that is a variety of services. So basically it is academic um, classes. There are recreational classes and then there's out, you know, activities out in the community. So volunteer work, um, doing, you know, visiting the community. We want everyone to have a third place. We want people to have a place in the community, you and I might go to like, I go to the same Starbucks every day, right? So they get to know me, oh, it's Nina and she wants her iced tea, right? And they get to know my face, they know who I am, I'm there, I'm part of that extended community. We want the individuals at CCO to have a place in their neighborhood, whether that's a Starbucks or a bakery or a grocery store, wherever it is, that they hang out to where people begin to familiarize and understand, oh yes, this is, you know, oh, hi, Susie, it's great to see you, right? And they start to build those relationships beyond their home, really out in their own community, which we want them living and being a part of. So um, you know all about the uh, family teaching model. I don't know if there's anything that you want to highlight that I missed, but those are some of the core pieces of what is out there. And people often tell us, like, oh, I had no idea this was available for adults. Right. And like for me, I was introduced to the family teaching model when I was in my very early 20s, just finished my undergrad and was wanting to go out and work in a school setting. And I was being told that I couldn't have kiddos with differing abilities in my classroom and it just didn't fit with me at all. And I was just so lucky that the universe provided me an opportunity to um, be a superimposed. So basically just a sub 
in the different homes. And I remember one of my first shifts, I walk in and I was working with an individual who was non-vocal verbal and had mm -hmm. very high medical needs. And for me, I was just really excited to be there. And I went right in to provide support. And I remember an FTC or a family teaching couple saying, hey, Amanda, we're going to try that one again because though Susie doesn't speak, we still need to ask her before we touch her. Yes. And though she yes. has a very high medical need, you need to ask her first. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's huge with us, right? Personal and legal rights. And in fact, I was just at a home on Friday, visiting one of our homes, just we, we do unannounced visits once a month and we just want to check in and make sure everything's going well. And um, oftentimes the individuals and teachers, they'll give us a tour of their home. And the teachers are trying to encourage one of the individuals to uh, to come and show his room. Now at this home, uh, two of the individuals are non-vocal verbal. And so he, he did come and he went and he sat in his room. And I stopped at the door and asked him if I could enter his room. And um, and he said, you know, he signaled for me to come in. So I knew at that point it was it was OK with him. And I've done this um, with people who visited our home, regional center, DDS. And they're always quite surprised that we're not just walking into an individual's room or, we're, you know, we're asking for permission um, as I would want someone to ask me. <laughs> they wouldn't just walk in my bedroom. Um, so I think it's that dignity and respect and the fact that we need to treat adults first of all they're adults so that's their private space and we need to respect that um, but really making sure that we're respecting the legal and personal rights of all the individuals and I think that starts even when they're kids right and you know making sure that um, if they don't have the language that we're figuring out other ways that they can communicate um, with us and we're respecting that um, and even if they do and they say, I don't want to do this, or I'm not comfortable hugging somebody or whatever that is, that we respect that even as a child versus as an, it carries through to adulthood. It does. Or making eye contact. And that's one of the things that we are really trying to work on during the month of April is really combating this misconception of ABA. Because the reality is, is that ABA should be very focused on natural environment teaching. And discrete trial training is helpful for specific skill sets. But when you utilize, when you overutilize DTT, you create what, what the public has seen as like robots or like one way to interact. And and the beautiful yeah. thing about natural environment teaching is we're looking for natural opportunities okay. that occur. And that happens in adulthood too. And I think mm -hmm. the important piece for people to understand is that through IDEA, Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, you have the right for transition services to start at 14. And why mm -hmm. is that? Because at 14, you have about six to eight years, right? Until they're 18 or 22 to really think through what is a meaningful employment, right? There's a difference between employment and meaningful employment. Yes. yes. Residential living. What are we going to do with post-secondary? So right. at 14, reaching out to your regional centers and talking with places like CCO, where they really mm -hmm. align with what your child will want in their adulthood. And I think for me, that has always stuck with me about CCO and the family teaching model and uh, CLO community living opportunities where it started in Kansas is that it, this is about the individual's right 
to fully participate in their lives and to be given the yeah. dignity and respect to have those natural opportunities to learn. Like we all need, like you were saying, right? Right. All right. Well, and I think it's a great time for us to just sort of ask from your personal experiences, what are the sorts of questions that parents or families typically ask you or um, questions that families receive? Yeah. Um, I think often I get questions all the time from a variety of people. Most of the time they want to know how to get their child more help or more services, right? Um, people are trying to figure out how do I advocate? What do I say? Where, what's available? Oftentimes people don't know what all is available and they're surprised to learn, oh, they could have got this service or maybe this will help. Um, they also don't know who to turn to necessarily for questions. Who do I go to? Who are the experts or who can help me? Um, did I ask for too much? Did I not ask for enough? Um, that that question comes up often. I've read a lot of IEPs or they'll ask me, are they getting enough service? Are they, you know, um, did, did I, they, you know, want to make sure they're getting the best for their child. Um, how do they get their child included with peers, um, whether that's in the community or in their schools or neighborhoods, um, programs, things like that. And I think probably the one I get the most is I'm worried about my IEP. What can I do? And oftentimes, you know, people ask me to come to their IEP or review their IEP before they go in. I think it becomes it's sad that it becomes a scary thing or a nervous thing, you know, versus a team coming together for that person, which is ultimately where you want to get to. Um, and we were really fortunate in some of our IP teams where we just had everybody was really focused on the individual. They were there for them. It wasn't a district versus family or, you know, those kinds of situations that sometimes people find themselves in. And I think ultimately everybody is heart is in the right place. It's just there's so many elements that get built into that time and stressors that um, sometimes those can overtake some really good decision making and conversations that need to happen. And so I think trying to build those relationships with your team members so that you can have a successful IEP and really refocusing them back to that person, why we're all there. It's not a piece of paper. It's not a number of hours. Um, it's not a funding discussion. It really is about what's best for the individual. And I try to remind families of that when they ask that question is, you know, think about the person, think about the person and then go from there and remind everybody we're all there for that person. So again, with the pictures, the profiles, all those kinds of things are going to strengthen that. Well, and thank you for really normalizing how stressful this process can be because I'm sure for some parents who are feeling very isolated, maybe a new diagnosis or new to the IEP process, they're feeling this stress and they're like, oh my goodness, this is this is there's something I'm doing that's wrong. So first of all, no, this is a very stressful a process to go through. It's a, it's it's a grieving process once you get a diagnosis. It is a huge stressor to go through an IEP once a year. So knowing that 
can help when you start to feel that stress build. And the second piece that I would love for people, for parents and, and, and individuals going through their own IEP processes is remember to take deep breaths and take care of yourself too going in yeah. there because our emotions get really high when we're trying to advocate for ourselves or even more so for our children and loved ones. Mm -hmm. And those emotions can be so effective at times. And then sometimes they can make it so that our executive functioning, our ability to think and process in the meeting actually shuts down. So you can always say, let's take a breathing break, everybody. I need to go and have some water and calm down and taking care of yourself in that process so that you can show up for, for your loved one or even yeah, for yourself. That's a really good tip. That's a really good tip. I have left IEPs in the middle, just said I need to step outside. And, you know, my husband and I will walk outside or I've been with other parents and we walked outside and we've just taken a breather and got some fresh air and we collected ourselves because you do want to be your best at the table and you don't want to get lost in emotion and all of that. Right. Because you really want to stay focused on what you're trying to accomplish. So I think that's a good tip. It goes back to that, you know, being courageous and saying, you know, hey, I, I just need a moment and, and it'll be OK. And, and, you know, maybe they need a moment too. And so it, and it helps everybody. Right, exactly. And Nina, are there any um, suggestions that you would give to a parent whose child has just turned 14 as far as like seeking meaningful employment or seeking meaningful residential where they're going to live or post-secondary? Mm -hmm. Because that is a real thing, y'all. Yeah. Everybody yeah. can go to post-secondary. I think... You know, don't limit yourself, right? I mean, everything's on the table. So I would say, you know, really explore. Think of it as you have some time right now to really be thinking and understanding everything that's out there. So there's different post-secondary programs going on. There's work programs. There's, um, you know, re all kinds of residential programs that are out there. And I think going and observing them and talking to people who are part of them um, will start to expand your horizons and start to really um, help you just get exposed to what is there. Also listening, listening to that 14 year old and what their goals and dreams are. And these will evolve as they grow, but I think taking into consideration what they really want, which can be hard sometimes, I think as a family member to say, oh, I was thinking this, but wow, you know, he's saying this or she's saying that. But really taking that into consideration, because I feel like if they're vested and they have a choice and control in their life, they're going to be more successful versus we've all decided this is what you're going to do in your life, <clears throat> which I think not to say that anyone's trying to do any harm by that. They really are doing that out of love, thinking that that is the best thing, but really letting them be part of it to the extent that they can be. Because um, I think empowering them and having them be vested in that decision um, and part of the decision-making process and information gathering process will help that person be more successful, I think, as they grow. Right. And though Nina and I have a personal preference for the family's teaching model, just because of our own experiences and really mm -hmm. that 
full participation that occurs, dignity and respect. Every single outcome is something that I'm tied to on a on a fundamental level of who I am yes. and my role in this community. Though on a personal, we have a personal preference for the FTM. We want you all to know that this is really about having that hard conversation about residential, where yes. your uh, kiddo is going to live when they're older. And I think it's because we both have personal experiences with family members. My older brother is completely fully functioning. I mean, he went to UCSB and part of this is getting him to live independently in a society that doesn't set up those supports for him to be able to live independently. Because when you have legs that don't necessarily allow you to walk from your bed to your bathroom, you might need someone there to be like, you got this bro, or to bring like just a walker for you to be able to do that. And yeah. then the rest of your life is fully independent. But for me, I always had this fear that my brother was going to outlive my parents. And so to make sure that he was set up in his own life so that they could enjoy his life and enjoy mm-hmm. their lives together. Yeah, I think so. And I think it's, yeah, just those reminders that, you know, Everyone wants to live their adult life. We all have plans. Well, I mean, when I was, you know, turning 18, I, I can't, had ideas about what I was going to do and where I was going to live. And I even tell people, as much as I'm an advocate for the family teaching model, I also tell people when they're looking at our services, we have a very extensive referral process and we do a lot of meeting, you know, lots of steps to make sure this really is the right fit for you. But I'll often tell people, if you don't want to live with others, there's some people who only want to live by themselves. They don't want roommates. They don't want housemates. If that's what they're looking for, the family teaching model is not the place to be Um, because you are going to be part of this family unit. You're going to live with others in your home. And if that doesn't work for you, you are not going to be successful and thrive in this model despite all these wonderful outcomes and things that we want. And so I will tell individuals up front when we're having the meeting, um, if this is what you're looking for, you you should work with the regional center to find a more appropriate placement because that is they, there are options for that to get your own apartment and have push and support or something like that. Um, so just think about that. But it goes back to what that individual's goals are, what their preferences are, and respecting that as you're moving forward into those next transitions and stages of their life. And remember, that starts at 14. Reach out to the yes. regional center at yes. 14. Ask them for the earlier. Right? <laughs> oh, oh my God, I love it. They should be attending their IEPs and, and having some time to talk to their team. Yeah, I know that, that some families are nervous about that, bringing their, their uh, loved one into the meeting. But it gives them again, that empowerment and their voice, they should be heard, whether they're showing in pictures or a story, they're reading something, they're sharing something. Um, Oh, my child's non-vocal verbal, what can they do at the meeting? Well, work with them to present so and help them present, whether they're presenting in pictures or a book that you've helped them create or slides that you can help facilitate and they can navigate so that it's still... um, make sure their voice is being heard and and they're communicating their needs and wants. 
Thank you. Thank you. Are there my last question for you, Nina, and thank mm-hmm. you so much for all this just amazing feedback is, are there any resources that you've discovered in your career or in your personal life, navigating, supporting your loved ones that could help towards other clinicians who want to set up their clients for adulthood success? Sure. So my mantra is never stop learning. So my my advice would be, you know, attend trainings that are offered from various organizations um, to broaden your experience. And um, I love the trainings I've taken from PHP, Parents Helping Parents. So I've taken IEP trainings. They have family trainings, I think professional trainings that will help people understand the IEP process, the forms, all that stuff. Um, also, uh, the person-centered planning training that they offer. I don't know um, if you've taken it or not. I've taken it. It's a fantastic way to think about the whole person and making sure that we're using person-centered language and that we are creating a plan um, that is centered around them. Um, I attend the ARC conference um, every year and the ARC is a great um, resource for trainings and information. The regional center sometimes has hosted trainings or guest speakers where you can um, gain some new experience and new resources that you can use to help your clients be set up for success. I think also just partnering with other professionals and organizations that are key to bringing everyone together, right? So when I mean, the people I've met in my life that work in this field, I usually meet, oh, I was volunteering with them here, or I met them through angels on stage, or I'm, you know, and, and it, you start to network. Um, you go to a conference with like-minded people who are all open to learning, and you start to meet or learn about other organizations that are doing similar work or new work that you didn't know about. So I think um, that would be my recommendation. I I'm big fans of, like I said, PHP and the ARC, but there's so many, uh, so many out there. Well, and thank you, Nina, so much for bringing us just beautiful examples of residential programs that allow for that full participation, those recreational programs that are skill-based and really trying to build that that peer and social skill set in, in young kids and adults from an extracurricular activity perspective. It's, these are fantastic examples of how the community can do better on a state level and a federal level. And we just so appreciate you coming in and sharing your experiences with us. Thank you so much for uh, having me. And I do believe it takes a village. So get your village together, keep growing it and making sure that everybody is you know, helping set your child up for success. That's ultimately what's, you know, what the goal is. Right, that's what's important here, is your child's success, your loved one's success, and then the village's success gets built in from there. So thank you, Nina, thank you. Is there anything that you wanted to um, say to our listeners? Just, like I said, be brave, be brave, and know it comes from love. I think that, um, this is an interesting path when when you have a loved one with a disability and maybe all the plans you had and all of the directions you thought you were going to go have, you know, gone a little bit differently, which I, I guarantee will lead to a richer and more fulfilling experience in life. The people that are in my life are really um, a big part of my life because I have loved ones with disabilities. The work I'm doing 
the change in my career and my degree in college and things like that changed because of them. Um, my focus and passion really went in that direction. And it opened up doors and built relationships with people that probably never would have entered my life had I not had this experience. So even if you're just getting a new diagnosis or um, just starting off on this path, just know it's going to lead you to some really amazing people and some really amazing services. And your life and your loved one's life will be much richer. Thank you. Thank you all for joining us on another episode of It Takes a Village, an ABA podcast. We hope you have a wonderful day.